Beth and I were talking last week uh, or earlier this week. Uh, we were talking about what what uh, we were going to do for Labor Day and all that. And she remembered and we got to talking about it last Labor Day. We got just kind of a an impromptu uh, invite to go over to your house, Kaplan's. And we I think we might have had hot dogs. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was uh, it was such a great day. Um, it was the beginning of <clears throat> a lot of uh, impromptu times of hanging out and just a good, it, it just really kind of set the tone for, for us settling in here at Bay Marin. Um, the, what I want to talk about today is a continuation of what Jesus said was important. Uh, loving God with all our heart, with, our, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. And then in verse 31 of, of Mark 12, Jesus said, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I just, uh, up front, I want to say, you are really good at loving your neighbor. Um, uh, when, I, when I talk to people, I always think this is kind of an interesting um, kind of gauge for, for, uh, for the health of a church. Um, when, uh, when I talk to people about Bay Marin, whether it's an unchurched neighbor across the street or even friends of mine in other parts of the country, um, I could talk about um, this cool building that we used to meet in. <laughs> um, I could talk about uh, some really great times of worship. Um, I, I could tell them, although they would probably laugh, my friends across, if, if, that, uh, if they tune in, they're guaranteed to hear us a, a soul-stirring sermon every week. Um, but no, the thing that I tell people, if they are going to visit with us at Bay Marin, they can expect to be loved. And whether it's a, for a Sunday worship gathering, a midweek small group, an informal gathering at the park, this church has a bunch of people you know who know how to love well. You you do this loving well thing um, as great as anybody I've seen collectively, and and I'm I'm not saying that loving well is something that just happens. It certainly, it doesn't happen because every one of us is so lovable, <laughs> because we all have those those edges um, that are difficult to embrace. Um, so there's a lot more to it. Uh, there's a there's some real substance to the love that you show, and that's what I want to address in a couple of minutes. And let's go back to that verse in Mark 12, <clears throat> and um, uh, let me just kind of read it again. <clears throat> Man, um, the uh, one of the teachers of the law came and um, perhaps to kind of catch Jesus off guard and to try and trap him, but. He's, he kind of comes to Jesus and says, of all the things that are important, of all the commands, the things that we're supposed to do, what is the most important? And as I said just a moment ago, uh, Jesus responded by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So it brings us together. It focuses our attention on him. And he says, love the Lord your God, that one Lord God. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. I love the, the song that Jane was leading us in about uh, the alabaster heart and loving uh, just as that 
uh, that lady did who took an alabaster jar of perfume and broke it and and offered it to Jesus. And so we are um, this alabaster love. We we pour all of ourselves out. And and if and I think something like that is we can um, we can say it. Yes, I do love him with all of my heart. Or we can say that's that's my desire. I'm not there yet, but I desire to love him with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And then today, just real briefly, I want to touch on a couple of things uh, where Jesus said, and the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, when we're talking about neighbor, um, it, I'm not necessarily talking about that person next door or across the street or down the block. Um, in the, <clears throat> the, the group that he was talking to, um, especially in that Jewish context, they more than likely kind of thought of their neighbor as their fellow Hebrew people, um, the, any member of the Hebrew nation. But Christ taught that neighbor refers to all mankind, irrespective of race or religion uh, with whom we live or we even have a chance meeting. Um, the Greek word that's translated as neighbor in this passage comes from a root word that means near or close by. And similarly, our English word for neighbor comes from a root word for near or nigh, um, our near neighbor, our neighbor. Um, so I, I want us to think of a neighbor as anyone that you are close to. Now, in our day of connectedness, we literally have an infinite number of people in our lives. So it's saying a lot. Um, you may have a thousand followers on Instagram, uh, friends on Facebook. I want us to kind of think of the people that we are close to and that. Now that may be geographic, but it may not. I mean, just on this call, there are people that I am close to who right now are in Tahoe and Petaluma and North Carolina. Um, I, we welcome some uh, the people that we are close to, the Clydes in London. So it's kind of, we're gonna have to use um, a pretty big mindset when we think about who our neighbor is in this context. But specifically, maybe it is someone that you're close to geographically, uh, someone you live with, work with, go to school with. Uh, it could be someone that you've grown, grown close to because you met them here at Bay Marin. Um, but that's what we're talking about with neighbors, just people that we are close to in our, in our hearts. Um, and it says also, and this is kind of an interesting phrase, I won't camp out on this, but it says to love our neighbor um, as, as you love yourself. And this, this law assumed that every person had a fundamental law for himself or, her, or herself. In the past couple of Sundays, we focused on the previous important commandment, which is loving God with all of our will, all of our thoughts, and all of our feelings, and with our whole body. And I believe that a love for yourself is one of the byproducts of an all-consuming love for uh, your creator. The best way to increase love for yourself is kind of an end around. It's an indirect path via an increased love for God. I think the more you understand your creator uh, in whom you were created in his image, the, uh, the more you will love yourself. And it also uh, means that uh, it, it positions us to love other people who were created in God's image. Our love for others really can't be isolated from our shared relationship to God. 
Our relationships to others cannot be right unless we see those others in, in their relation to God. So this loving thing that, that so many of you at Bay Marin do well, uh, this loving others well that I want, I want all of Marin to get a taste of what it's like to experience love here at our church. And it's not exclusive to Bay Marin, but it is truly a characteristic, a God-given grace that he has given our, our local congregation. Um, and I, like I said, this doesn't come easy. In fact, there are in, inherent challenges to loving people. Um, and I don't mean uh, simply because maybe they have difficult characteristics to love, uh, but can we admit that the challenge of loving the people closest to us is often due, the, due to relational wounds that we have encountered along the way? And it may not have anything to do with that person that we're struggling to love. Many of us carry scars from relationships that were the opposite of loving. And we can't move straight into loving our neighbor without acknowledging what has served to wound and weaken our relationships. So when I'm talking about relational wounds, I'm talking about things like rejection, being left out, not feeling welcomed, not being accepted, encountering betrayal, uh, living with unresolved tension. Now, in a way, what I just summed up is what it's like in middle school. <laughs> Rejection, being left out, unwelcome, not accepted. Uh, that is middle school, at least it was for me. I don't know if anybody can echo that. But here's the truth. It doesn't stop in middle school. In varying degrees, each of us is familiar with those type of relational wounds, at least one or more of those. Maybe you first encountered one of those wounds in your family of origin. Likely at some point a little later in life, you encountered some form of rejection in peer groups or at work. Um, it could be that in your marriage or a former marriage, uh, you may have been tainted by rejection, a lack of acceptance, betrayal. Maybe you're still struggling with unresolved conflict. Far too many have also encountered church wounds from our own brothers and sisters in Christ. You thought of all the places that I'm going to be loved well, and you walked away with a, a relational wound. Now, with these wounds, basically we are acting against the good of others, or more subtly, sometimes we act indifferent towards the good of others. And we use this phrase spiritual formation a lot, but I, I want to give it some, some concreteness. The work of spiritual formation is irreplaceable in addressing the wounds in our relationships because um, this process of spiritual formation opens us to the grace of being healed. We grow to become people who naturally act for the good of others. And this isn't something that uh, you've, if you've tried to love someone in your own strength over time, it just, you can't do it. But if God does a, a real life change in you, um, you find that you have a source greater than your own strength that enables you to show love to your neighbor, to, to be a constant source of blessing. That's maybe another way to think of loving your neighbor is how can you be a constant source of blessing 
to the people who are close to you. Loving your neighbor is being a constant source of blessing in your neighbor's life. That's what I'm saying. I've tasted here at Bay Marin, and I hear so many stories of other people who are saying, you know, I, I gathered around with these people, and they have been a constant source of blessing in my life. So we're called to love each other. Um, I think I think the strongest witness to the unchurched of Marin or to the unchurched of wherever it is that you're tuning in from right now is for Christians to love one another. Can we agree that the world needs to see more brothers and sisters in Christ who are constantly blessing each other? Um, the skeptics who have a cynical perspective of church need to see devoted followers of Jesus constantly blessing one another. And those in the church or who were in the church but stepped away because of that relational wound, um, they need to see devoted followers of Jesus loving one another, blessing one another. And that's going to be what it takes probably before they're willing to wade back into church. Now, I'm, I'm speaking as one who has not consistently done a good job of loving neighbors, of, of of loving, of engaging in reciprocal friendships, of constant blessing, even with fellow churchgoers. But by God's grace, I've pushed through some unloving encounters in a way that led to mutual blessing, to loving and being loved. And so if you're in one of those tight spots, I want to say don't give up hope. Um, let us Let us help you as much as we can to enter into that and to help you bring healing. Don't give up on just the, just the beauty of a life that's, that's characterized by being a, a blessing to others and letting that being poured back out on you. So I, I know with all this talk of love, what everybody wants to do right now is just a big group hug. And I haven't figured out how to do that on Zoom. Um, and uh, and really what we need right now, to be honest, is more than a big group hug. Um, I want to share biblical principles that can transform your friendships and your relationships. And just very quickly, I want to offer three kind of mandates if we are to be a constant source of blessing to those close to us. So if you're watching this by yourself, um, maybe it would help to kind of think, okay, who is one person that I could be a constant blessing to. And this might be someone that's it's kind of challenging for you to be loving towards. Um, if you're watching this with family, or if you're like a bunch of our students right now that are up at church, gathered together watching this on Zoom, um, who I know you guys are glued to this and you're not even aware that other people are in the room. Um, <laughs> Um, maybe you just look around and say, what would it look like for us to be a constant blessing to each other? What would it be? Uh, what does loving our neighbor look like? So three mandates. Just going to kind of go through these rather quickly. Um, as I go through these, you'll see that some of these um, are really encouraging and simple, and a couple of these are really hard. So get ready. <laughs> um, the first mandate is for us to love one another we have to begin by seeing ourselves as whole in Christ. Um, let me uh, kind of copy and paste a couple of these things. 
into, uh, into the chat feature. Love for one another begins with seeing yourself as whole in Christ. Um, rather than, uh, than thinking you can uh, figure this out on your own, I want you to see how much better you are able to love people when you first encounter God's love in your own life. Psalm 131 um, is, a, is a really short psalm that describes a soul at rest with God. Um, it's only three verses long. I want to put the first two verses up in the chat feature. And, uh, and it says this, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now listen to this, just this tender way <clears throat> that the psalmist describes uh, his relationship with God. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So what the psalmist is saying is rather than coming to God solely for what we need, we also can come to God simply to be with God. And the psalmist is, is painting this picture of a child who is content in its mother's arms, not clamoring to be fed, but rather simply to be. If maybe you've held a baby, and I know I don't mean, um, I'm not talking just to moms or dads holding your own baby. If you have held a baby, I bet it, to some degree you were overcome with that sense of deep love for that baby. And there is something, when you hold a young child, there is something in you that rises up that you are thinking, I would do anything for, the, for this precious soul that I'm holding. I would do anything for the good of this young child. And that baby is not even aware of the depth of love that is being surrounded, um, uh, that is surrounding that child and how that baby is held in, in great love. What I want you to know is you and, and I, we are held in that kind of love by Jesus. What more could there be in life than this unconditional, never-ending, ever-abounding love? And this is the beginning point of our love for our neighbors, that we are forever loved by God. So I'm going to give you two spiritual practices. The first one is this. Um, allow yourself to be held by God this week. What would it look like for you to just allow God to embrace you with his love? And to do that, here's your spiritual practice. I want you to turn to Psalm 131 throughout the week. It's only three verses long. And I want you to just let that um, wash over your thoughts and filter through your heart. Read Psalm 131 throughout the week, or maybe um, commit it to memory. And I think the more you read through it, the more it's going to, uh, you'll have it memorized. But to help you, to train you in understanding how you can see yourself as whole in Christ, spend some time with Psalm 131. Um, the second mandate, and this is, okay, this is where it gets real, okay? <laughs> This is where um, it's going to be a challenge for us. Um, abandon self-defensiveness. If we're going to love our neighbors, 
we have to abandon self-defensiveness. This involves uh, just the vulnerability of allowing yourself to be known in those closest relationships for who you really are. So when I'm talking about abandoning self-defensiveness, I'm talking about uh, things like self-justification, uh, manipulation, or being evasive. So you can see how important the first step is, seeing yourself as whole in Christ. If you and I are to be transformed to the degree that we don't resort to posturing. So if we are going to um, not have that knee-jerk response of always having to self-justify or manipulate or kind of hide, um, we are going to have to really trust ourselves to God. And one of the ways uh, that we probably self-justify, manipulate, and hide is by using our words. Um, probably a lot of words. And so to experience transformation in this particular area, if you find yourself wrestling with this, um, this is the second spiritual practice that I want to encourage you to, uh, to try. Spend some time this week in silence. The spiritual practice of silence. Um, keeping words to yourself <laughs> so that you can hear the words of God. And maybe it is hearing God say that you are beloved, that he is holding you in his love. In the silence, listen for God's voice of affirmation. This is not an easy step, abandoning self-defensiveness. Uh, we want to come to the rescue of ourselves. But if we're going to love our neighbors, sometimes that means that that we need to remain silent and we need to continue to offer blessings to others instead of trying to self-justify or manipulate how we are perceived or to hide. And then third, let your love be genuine. Um, for those of you, uh, especially our, the students that are up at church right now, um, can I say that I think you might be the best at all of us in this? And let me, let me explain. When I say uh, for this third mandate, let your love be genuine, uh, I'm quoting actually verse uh, 9 of Romans 12. Romans 9, 12 very simply says, let your love be genuine or let your love be sincere. Um, with all the pretense and posturing that's now out of the way, no longer self-justifying or hiding, now your love can be real. It can be genuine. It can be sincere. You've welcomed the truth of your wholeness in Christ. You've dropped all the wordy defensiveness that acts like a filter, that this purifies your love that you can offer others. And the reason that I say, uh, in particular, I think youth and college students are great at this, is I think they are awesome at smelling a fake. I, I think if I can speak directly to you, um, you're pretty keen at sensing disingenuous displays of love. You're a part of a generation that values real and authentic. I think there's some of us on this Zoom call that are willing to kind of overlook that and, and go, well, um, boy, what you know what this person says or wrote is, is so good. And we kind of overlook 
the character flaws or the lack of love. But I, I think for you, you value real and authentic. And um, you've been, uh, you're aware of leaders who have fallen and you see through plastic smiles and you don't go for hypocritical lifestyles. And to you, I say way to go. And to the rest of us, I hope it spurs us on to walk the talk, to consider just to look within ourselves is our love genuine? And if not, what needs to take place in us so that we can show a genuine love for others? There is no more poignant example of a non-defensive posture and a display of unconditional love than when Christ offered his life for us. Um, when Christ was being falsely accused, he still chose to remain silent in order for God's will, his Father's will, to be done. His identity was rooted in being his Father's beloved, and he gave his life out of a sincere, genuine love for us. And I, I say these things to prepare our hearts for communion. So if you could uh, grab a, a cup and some bread, let me kind of um, read this paraphrase uh, of this encounter that Jesus had with his closest friends, with his neighbors, the night he was betrayed. On the night that he would be arrested, Jesus gathered his friends and companions in the midst of, it was definitely a very tense and dangerous time, and they found themselves around a table connecting over the story of God, and they maybe didn't even fully realize it, the story of God in flesh among them. And as they did this, Jesus took bread and gave thanks to God. He broke it and shared it with the disciples. And he said, take eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when supper was over, he also took the cup. He gave thanks to God and shared it with his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Join me in partaking of these elements. And so we pray. Come Holy Spirit, breath of God, <clears throat> renewer of our life. Settle on these gifts and all who gather here that we might be transformed in our remembrance of your radical love, of your eternal embrace, and your grace that makes all things new. For the sake of our shared lives, nourish us and renew our hope that soon, Christ, you may rise again among us. Amen.